are here for another two whatever's way up i'm your host jesse today we have seth hello and back once again uh from the west coast we have josh dysart returning how are you josh hello i'm good how are you I'm very well. Today <laughs> awesome. we're talking. To we're talking about a little movie that I didn't even know existed until Josh brought it up. Uh, <laughs> you posted about this on Twitter, and I was like, "That seems interesting. Let's talk about that." We're talking about Little Murders, directed by Alan Arkin, the late Alan Arkin, who just passed away. Uh, we figured we'd do a little bit of a retrospective analysis of this. Is the only feature he directed? Is that correct? That is not correct. There was another feature, which I would have to go on Letterboxd to, to get the name of. And there's a few, like, TV episodes and things. Yeah. But this was his first hmm. feature. And yeah. certainly, his when you consider the cast and you consider um, the subject matter, I think is certainly his most ambitious feature that he directed. Mm. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a very commercial film. If I tried to describe what the plot of this film is or the premise, I would, <laughs> uh, I'd be very lost. Uh, so, Josh, when did you first see this film? Because I, I, we, uh, we couldn't find a Blu-ray of this, but you found a version that you found online and you sent it to us, and we all watched it. Although it is worth noting, I did also find it on YouTube. It is on <laughs> so YouTube. It is on. Yeah. There, there are versions on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. So when did you first see this? So I think, I'm not entirely sure, the, the fog of a habitual movie user, but or movie watcher, <laughs> but I think I saw this about around 2005 or 2007 on Turner Classic Movies um, during their like late night underground sessions they do on the weekends. Where mm-hmm. they get they get quite obscure and quite interesting, and you know, so it was probably a Friday or a Saturday night, and I was probably just really stoned out of my mind, and it came on randomly. And <laughs> any Elliot Gould fan, especially mm-hmm. when they see directed by Alan Arkin come up, uh, yeah. is is gonna is gonna sit down and pay attention, right? <laughs> the, yeah, an Elliot right. Gould movie you've never seen directed by Alan Arkin, <laughs> and uh, and it they I I found it it profoundly blew me away. I thought it was just incredibly, um, uh, just, uh, just incredibly ambitious in what it's trying to do, what it's trying to say. And then later I found out, you know, who the writer is and we will talk about that soon, but you know, the, the writer is an incredibly famous cartoonist who worked with Will Eisner, worked on the spirit, uh, wrote this play that this is based on. Very obviously, it's a, a play turned into a movie. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and even if you look at, you know, and I quickly discovered just researching the next day that as soon as you start to look at movies that even remotely sort of feel like this movie, you'll find that Little Murders predates them all. So even if it mm. doesn't feel fresh to you when you see it, because perhaps you have <clears throat> you see a little bit of its vibe in Network or Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, or you know what, all these different movies that mm. sort of truck in this same uh, relentless surrealism, uh, which is is something yeah. a, a phrase I'll probably use multiple times throughout this yeah. podcast. <laughs> is, um, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, you'll find that Little Murders does it first, gets there first. In in a way, it's an, no one talks about it, but um, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I call it sort of the the first shot or the vanguard. Um, of the of American surrealism <clears throat> in mm, cinema, yeah. particularly in sixties and seventies cinema. Definitely American cynicism. I was watching this and I was in the middle of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is totally for me. This feels very yes. cynical." <laughs> I was like, "This is right at my alley." And yes. you were talking about films that are in, that were influenced <laughs> by this. I got vibes of um, what was that 
Noah Baumbach movie that came out. White Noise that on Netflix. That movie White Noise on Netflix. I got vibes yeah, of that. I haven't seen it. I read the book, but I never saw the movie. I did not like the movie. <laughs> I hear bad things about it. Yes. It's very bad. Yeah. <laughs> 90, a ninety hear. million dollar flop. It's it's very bad. Um but yeah, it's it's uh, I got vibes of that. It's kind of like it's very disjointed at times, but it's packing in tons of sociopolitical yes. themes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. 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 <laughs> Seth, what did you think watching this? Okay, so I, I I went in as cold as you can go. Like there, I, I know Alan Arkin, you know, like I, Elliot Gold, you know. I've seen the Oceans films. I'm I'm like tangentially familiar. Um, I was gonna think Little Sunshine, Miss, Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Little Miss Sunshine. Where's um, your grandfather in the trunk of our car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so coming into this, I'm super cold. I have no idea what to expect. And when we get to, I guess, our first really surrealist bit through the wedding, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, you didn't. So Let, when he meets the, the when he meets his parents-in-law, like when he goes, that's really, I think, when the surrealism kicks in yeah. the ear. The family. See, see I, was, I was honestly still <clears throat> on board with so much that of that as just, just like an example of set. normal. Oh, dude, I had a weird <laughs> fucking family. No, yeah, I had a weird fucking family. Um, so yeah, all of that. I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, these are caricatures. This is fun. This is cute. And then it hits the wedding and I was like, Amazing. Oh, let me let me resituate in my ch- in my chair here. Which Donald then, Sutherland? We have to say for people who haven't watched. Donald oh, Sutherland yeah, right. is the non-deist progressive preacher <laughs> at the wedding. Right, yeah. <laughs> fucking amazing. And you paid me two hundred fifty dollars to not use the deity's name in the service. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I was not expecting the back half. Like even even for that yes. much setup, I was like the back half just had me kind of giddy going like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen next. What a great feeling. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what a great time. <laughs> nice. I, I'm really Good. curious. Did, did you watch this with people? Is this something you talked about? How are you talking about this kind of movie? I feel like, Film discourse today is such a different animal than what it must have been like to talk about movies like this closer to when they were coming out. What was that like, Josh? Well, first of all, uh, and I was born the year this movie came out, so I have no idea what the discourse around no, this yeah, movie was. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I I don't mean specifically the like what was yes. it like the year that this came out, but like what what was it like to be talking about movies when you saw this? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I saw this at I was I was dating someone who uh was you know perfectly content to to stay up late smoking pot and watching old movies with me at that time. So um you know but it was uh, it was one of those relationships well you know I won't get into that. Let's not get into <laughs> that. Let's just say that um I don't know that I processed what I saw, I only know the emotional impact it had on me and that I felt yeah. like I had seen something that had something important to say, but I really didn't do the work at that time mm. when I first saw it to, to unpack So this it. is a revisit movie yes. for you to, so to really fact, learn to love it. Rewatching it precisely because Jesse was like, let's talk about it. And I, th- I thought, well, oh shit, all I, all I remember is vibing with it. I have to like rewatch the movie. <laughs> and, um, Hell yeah. Uh, so rewatching Did it feel it like that- a different movie this time around? No, it didn't. It felt like exactly <laughs> the same. I felt like a different viewer. The movie felt yeah. the same. 
But, um, you know, I think you should always, especially if you love a thing, a movie, uh, you should revisit it a decade later all the time. Like, um, yeah, because you you've yeah. changed drastically. The movie, of course, is locked and frozen in time, but you've evolved and you've become. So I really um, love it now more than ever. There is definitely a thing that happens very often when I do my decade later rewatch where I swing wildly in either direction. If I sure, very often sure. I uh, I'll watch something that I wasn't very moved by and I'll realize that it was because, you know, that great like Bob Dylan lyric, right? I'm I'm so much younger now. I was older then or whatever the fuck. That that's like I I, I have more fun watching movies now. I'm like less critical in 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 a kind of way. I'm still a critical son of a bitch, but I'm like way less critical in a certain way. And so with this mm. movie watching it again only solidified its its um its beauty and i i feel like i intellectually was able to unlock it or at least i did the work maybe just because you know my own relationship to thinking about movies has changed greatly um being on letterbox being on podcasts like this i've started to I've start, and also just really, really starting to take my professional role as a storyteller seriously. I begin to really unpack things. So, mm-hmm. um, so I found this second viewing to be incredible. And I did watch this with my wife this time, and she she really enjoyed it as well. What what was that conversation like post film? Do you, do you talk about movies when you're done with them? Is that is yeah? That your... We do, we do. We um, we you know, but we approach them intellectually very differently, and also what we talk about after, you know, this is probably true of everybody. When you first see a film, particularly one that has murky ambitions, right? I would say mm. little murders has murky ambitions. Like you're like, well, I don't <laughs> even know. Like, I don't even like, it feels this... like a very scattershot film. Yeah. But I don't think that it is. I think it's quite precise, uh, but it does feel that way. I agree. Yeah. And um, so I think we just talked about like, just it, that's crazy this is so you know are you talking about the the darkness of it or whatever but i think there's something Mm. much deeper going on there where jules pfeiffer the writer of the play and the writer of the screenplay is really addressing his place in his time which is particularly the um the like new york city social hellscape of 1960 to 1975 and he's unpacking Mm. that and he's stacking it so there's like uh, there's the references to the systemic rise in violent crimes in New York City. And I actually right. have the stats on that. I looked it up. Um, oh, uh, coming with the numbers and the math. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. love it. That's right. I'm not here to fuck around. And so in 1965, <laughs> in 1965, there were 58,802 instances of violent crime in New York City. Quite a bit for one wow. year. By 1971, so six years later, there are 145,048 instances of violent crime. From 58,000 to 145,000 in six years. So now, look, what constitutes a violent crime and the social ills that surround that are open for a much larger discussion. Uh, sure, uh, sure. People in power, you know, say what a violent crime is or or the reasons for it but the point is is that violence was on the increase in new york city at during this time in a way that um is kind of impossible to fully understand the movie also references the 1968 nine-day garbage strike right if you'll remember they talk about the garbage strike in the movie okay so this 68 uh garbage strike 
was so intense that huge piles of garbage in the street were catching on fire. Buildings were catching on fire because they were next to these piles of garbage. It was an incredible health crisis at that time because it was garbage in the streets. And um, the entire island of Manhattan like smelled like actual shit. You can find, if you go online, you can see people like references to people talking about this at the time but even more Mm. interesting to my mind is there was a generational boomer cycle in the rat population because of this so in the same way that we got a boomer generational surge after world war ii when all the all the uh uh, gi boys came home and had a bunch of sex and 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 we've still dealing with the economic realities of that something similar happened with the rat population in new york city around this garbage strike in 1968 um because it was a rat right so they just fucked and fucked and then uh the movie um also all the what feels very jarring i think to a modern audience certainly to me um all the references to homosexuality uh yeah use of the f word not not the fuck word um uh, right yeah you know (laughs) not the fuck the other one that we don't say anymore uh, yeah. yeah but i i i really do feel that jules pfeiffer is trying to address and discuss the conservative blowback to the Stonewall riots of 69 mm. that happened. Wow. Um, and that's what he's, he's taught. So it's all coming. Oh, there's also all the brownouts and the blackouts and stuff. That's yeah. from like the 1965, yeah. you know, that big Northeast or blackout that occurred. And there, there was all these brownouts. So essentially Jules Pfeiffer is looking at New York city as a t- total dystopia. And he's packing it all into this one event. And he's saying like, um, how, what kind of a personal philosophy do you have to have to endure the chaos? And then where he eventually ends is in the uh, uh, an exploration of the of the conservative fascistic mind when it feels embattled. That's his like final resting place with that that yeah. great final speech um, that Gardena, the actor Gardena, has. Um, uh, so I think that's that's what he's doing, and he takes a. a a central character, Elliot Gould, and he says, okay, here's a nihilist, right? When Mm -hmm. when the movie begins, why feel, or like, why care about anything, right? If you, if you, um, if you hate a thing, you, you become consumed by your hatred. If you hate the situation, the chaos around you, if you, uh, love the chaos around you, you know, you're, you're consumed by it. There's no real, (laughs) go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I was agreeing with you. Yes, true. And, uh, um, uh, uh, right, so he doesn't feel, and and then, but relentlessly he's pursued by love, right? He's by the love of a woman. And when right. he goes to see his parents, he sees that his parents are non-emotive, non-emotional beings. They're complete intellectualists, right? All they do is um, assess and survey and intellectually and and that makes him want that makes him realize first of all how he became the the nihilist or the non-feeler that he is and he chooses love and then he is immediately punished for it immediately and the rest of the movie the second half of the movie that you're talking about seth is him cascading along with his with his conservative conservative in-laws towards becoming a part of the chaos which is the final scene right like like just 
you know, without having a spoiler here, just start shooting motherfuckers, you know, just mm. just start, just join in. Like, that's what it means to feel. I, I didn't yeah. expect at the end of the movie where he becomes the Punisher. That was definitely weird. That was yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think, you know, the Punisher. Maybe it's not that extreme, but still, yeah. Yeah, but also it's not, it's not, it's not done for a moral justification. It's not like because it's, it's not because fuck it. Everyone's <laughs> right. doing <Fuck> it. it. <laughs> Everybody, you know, be be a part of the chaos. It's your only thing that, yeah. that you can do. And I think that Jules Pfeiffer ends up really un, unpacking the conservative mind. Frankly, um, mm. you know how you fe- how they feel embattled, how they how 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 they the whole speech at the end, right, where he talks about how uncomfortable it is to live in an unsafe world and we just yeah. want to be safe. We just want order. But then that in that same speech, which all makes sense, and then in that same speech, he begins to crest into order for people who think like him, order for people yeah. who look like him, not order for the other, right? And that we, we can, right. you know, um, and I think that's that's where it's going. I mean, in a way, it it... It's prescient and it predicts the Reagan silent majority that'll happen nine years after this movie. It predicts the Tea Party. It predicts uh, the Trump era conservatism. And it's not even that it predicts it. It, it, it just sees what the conservative mind has always been and, yeah. makes, a, mm. and makes a prescient call on it. There's also right. a, a heavy dismantling of institutions within the film. Because yeah. th- this is, if you, this film came out in 1971. One year later, Watergate happens. Yes. Which is the ultimate display of your government doesn't give a shit, give give a shit about you. Like mm-hmm. they, they clearly st- tried to steal the or election. Or they're like anti-democratic. Yeah, exactly. Anti-democratic. Yeah, yeah clearly. And uh, there's that moment when Patsy's father says, "I don't have to believe in God, but I believe in institutions." Meanwhile, yes, every right. institution yes. in, that's displayed in the film <laughs> is failing and collapsing. The church is in disarray. The police department is falling apart. Can't solve any crimes. Uh, you just the entirety of New York is in absolute turmoil. Yeah. And he still says, I but I still believe in the system. Why? Yeah. Yeah. What what's the point of believing in the system when it's this D- broken? Trying to slide the cops five bucks when they're down on the boardwalk because that's how much dude, like that's real. That's I've seen it happen. That's a real thing. Yeah, man. I mean Pfeiffer's going after closeted youth. Right, he's like right. the, the oh, little yeah. brother. He's going after independent feminism with the with the with the the you know the woman who like gives all her love to Gould. Right, she's an independent woman, but there's still this like I need you to love me. I need you. To. Right. He right. goes after progressive non-deist spirituality. Um, he goes after policemen oh. who are so wrapped up in their imaginary like conspiracy theories. I mean, he's really. He's really he's he he is like Elliot Gould in the window at the end of the film. He's just taking shots. At oh yeah, and he's it, doing like it beautifully. His, his, Are you offended speech... by anything? You'll be offended by something in this movie, <laughs> right? His speech to the parents at the beginning is is all about being paid to make shitty art. Like yes, it's, it's a just, <laughs> literally uh, uh, yes. It's like hey, yeah, I, I got into this because I really loved it, and then it got obfuscated from me, and then all of a sudden I was getting paid to make shit. And, yeah. and take and they're giving me awards for shit and it's like damn how how analogous is that to just so many art fields right now yeah uh yeah. It, yeah. it just it feels like turtles all the way down for every issue it's like th- we've we, we've been dealing with that for like 50 years shit yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Mm. There's even that moment when he goes into first person perspective when he's in the park. Yes. The last, I love like, that. Literally a pile of shit on the ground. <laughs> and he's, he's got to yank away from it real quick to but like, oh, I'm not only, like that anymore. But it's like the only thing that's in focus, right? He can't yes, focus yes. on it. Everything else is like out of focus except for this mound of shit on the ground. It's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing movie. <laughs> And oh, a shockingly good framing of shit too. Like you could see the colors and the textures <laughs> and like <laughs> That's how I feel talking about Marvel movies. Anyways, uh, Jesse, uh, this really feels like it has tickled your pickle. Um, yes. What, what is... was your like what was your like choo choo motherfucker? I'm fully on board moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the moment when Gould is kind of like, what? What's the point? Why should why should I feel? Like Yes. I mean, maybe maybe I've just been consuming too much news recently because uh, I'm still part of IATSE 487 and um, working in film and TV, although I haven't worked on anything. I moved back from New York uh, recently because ran out of money and all the work shut down. Um, and then there, just today, SAG decided to go on strike. WGA is still on strike. And uh, a couple days ago... Um, there was a report from Deadline that said, oh, yeah, we're just going to wait out the writers until October until they start losing their homes. <clears throat> Basically telling the industry to fuck off. We're not we're not going to pay you anything. We're not going to give you mm-hmm. the deal you want. So it's and all the people in my union are kind of like, well, no, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Why? They just told you to fuck off. Like, I'm just at that point where I'm like, I just feel like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So this movie kind of like at this very moment, I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Elliot Gould. What's the point? Yes, but you know? Elliot Gould uh, changes his mind halfway through the movie, and he chooses yeah. love. And you see, but then he gets immediately himself. punished for it. <laughs> yeah. It... <laughs> Just see, Jesse watched the whole movie, Josh. Jesse, I watched Jesse the whole saw movie. The whole thing. Jesse will start love. shooting out of his house sooner than he goes out. <laughs> I, I live out in the small town. There's no nothing to shoot at, so and right. I don't own a gun. Uh, but yeah, I was just I'm watching this and I'm just kind of like, I really do feel at that point, like this just at this moment, it's just the right movie for me. Nice. So good choice. Awesome. <laughs> good choice. I love it. It's interesting, right? Because we chose this movie to celebrate Alan Arkin's life, but I'm, yes. I'm not yes. sure Arkin has one great scene in it. And I'm not sure that Arkin's direction is, uh, it's obviously totally competent and yeah. and he gives he obviously makes his actors feel really comfortable because every performance in this movie is a banger like every yeah. single oh, yeah. actor is on point i mean i love the mom of the family she's mm. really brilliant um uh and so but really i think the stars of this movie are the performers and and jules pfeiffer's screenplay i mean that's really yeah. where the the juice is so yeah. it's ironic visually it's visually it's fine it's, it gets it done. It's a movie it's based fun. on a play, you know. It's that's yeah. yeah. Like I, I would notice, like um, in the, some of the candlelight scenes, the the comedy is really what's carrying the the brownouts through. Yes. Because even some of the shots are like, uh, there's no light here. Like it's a yeah. little under uh, under <laughs> yeah. shot. You know, like it's not. But it, it's not a movie that needs to look ultra sharp either. Like I'm not right. I'm not poking it like this as as if it's a giant issue. But you can definitely tell, like. You know, yeah, we, it was we, a needed, low we needed to capture a good story and good performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for like for yeah. like just over a million dollars, pretty good. Not yeah, bad. <laughs> you know, it it's not it wasn't trying to be in it because originally this was supposed to be directed by was it Sidney Lumet, I believe. Is that true? And I did not know that. I believe it was supposed to be Sidney Lumet, and he ended up dropping out, and Gould asked Arkin to do it. Uh huh. 
So that's uh, why no. Ghoul was a producer on this. So that's, right. that's, that explains it. So <clears throat> he's like, can you come in and just direct this? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, but you know, it, it occurs predominantly, not entirely. They do take, they go outside a few times, but it occurs mostly in interior in spaces yeah. and yeah, precisely. Yeah. So it doesn't feels like a play. Yeah. doesn't need a lot. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, we've seen films based on plays, and sometimes they're successful. I mean, I know you weren't the biggest fan of The Whale. I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we need, then there's other times where films are based on plays, and they don't work out, like Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> like, Ooh. some don't work out. You know, it, it's, it depends on the direction of what your intent is. And if your intent right. is just to get the script translated to a visual medium on screen, this one does it more successfully than others. And, you sure. know, this, no, yeah, this, absolutely. This predates Network by like six years, right? But it's got a similar yeah. vibe where it's really just a series of monologues set up together mm-hmm. for each character um, in a way that uh, Network at its best is a series of monologues when it's being like its most interesting. And yeah, um, yeah. and that's, you know, and, and Network was a Patty Chayefsky script uh, and directed by Sidney Lumet. And, um, uh, and, and so I think in these these kinds of these kinds of films that you particularly saw throughout the '70s, the performances and the writing is all you really need, right? You you need an yeah. actor who can sell it, right. and you need words that are going to resonate and be timeless. Like I think the speech, I think many of the monologues in this film are timeless, and I think um, it goes without saying that the monologues in Network remain completely on point to this day so yeah um i think that's a huge huge victory <clears throat> for a film that's you know made in 1971 yeah sure. gould monologue when he's uh, listening to the tape recording of his parents basically saying yeah wow. i don't remember your childhood yes i don't remember. just like how it's like five minutes long and it's like devastating it's like yeah yes. this is why i'm such i'm so completely <laughs> screwed as a person yes and that is where I I think some of the filmmaking gets played up there too because you don't even realize that uh, Jules is there. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah, uh, she's there listening, and then her response is, "What are you or talking Patsy's, about?" Yeah, yeah, sorry, Patsy. Patsy I, I said Pat, Jules, and, and she's just sitting in the chair, and finally he ends his monologue, and she's just like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" It's like yeah. that's yeah. her first response. It's like you have no idea she's even in the room, so it just it yeah. it feels like such mm-hmm. a such a hollow monologue like just like it's meant to be straight to the audience yeah like that's that's a a great adaptation of what it would feel like to to see that in play form you know what i mean where they just have the the spotlight on the actor doing the monologue in the middle and then the reveal of like oh this is part of a greater scene and and then it mm, wow yeah the way to end that scene is amazing uh, oh jesus did uh, I didn't anyone, see that coming. <laughs> did anyone get a little hereditary feel? Like maybe hereditary was trying to do this with the long walk with the blood. Uh the, the same thing. Oh that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Finn Wolfhard does through the like his after the, the death. I, I don't know. They just they feel like they occur at the same place in the plot and uh kind of act in the same way to spin yes. our story. I don't know. I just I was I got a little hurt. I was like I hadn't thought of that. Ari Aster, really did you call. did you feel a little little murdery when you were <laughs> murdering that child in your movie? <laughs> um, and that 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 Elliot Gould on the subway after Ooh. that scene with yeah. Him, oh, yeah. in the bloody shirt is so good. It's so good. Yeah. It's so New York. 
It's Having lived so- in New York for five months, I can guarantee right now people will see the strangest shit on the subway and Dude, no one will comment on it. And he yeah. passes by another guy that's gushing blood from his <laughs> yeah, head and yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, dude, you're you're so not a priority, man. <laughs> And, yeah, and also it just speaks to like just the chaos, just a city in chaos, an ant mound that's been kicked over. You know, that's New York City in this movie. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I just, I also just rewatched The Joker recently. Jesse, you can plug your ears. It's okay. I've um, never seen it. Well, and it's it's talking about <laughs> it's talking about the same kind of stuff. Like the the trash crisis is the backdrop mm-hmm. uh, within you know kind of a a violent chaotic New York City. Like I, the I love that you bring this up as kind of a um, a harbinger of what's to come for dark <laughs> you know comedy <laughs> and things like. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. I, but but you can. I I just I love the you locked in on the way that this made you feel the first time, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's what really carried you through. Mm-hmm. And I and I think a lot of this is built on that kind of feeling over everything within the the scene writing. You said you wanted to talk about um, Jules Pfeiffer's uh, writing here and what the, what the deeper aspects are do you think that there's a struggle in there to kind of pit between like the the more political aspects of what are trying to be talked about and then just the deep sad feelings here of like my parents don't get me and they kind of failed me and i'm feeling like shit about not even being able to feel like shit i can't be like what what is what is it at play underneath here i think he's saying um I think he's saying politics is downstream of your emotional state. Yeah. I don't, I don't think in the end, he's not saying, um, this is a movie about politics. He's saying, right. This is a movie about social economic chaos and, and the politics comes out of the feeling of being embattled. So it's similar to my what I've always felt about film criticism, right? When you first see a film, you have an emotional reaction to it. Mm-hmm. It's you 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 like it, you hate it, you you weep at it, you laugh at it, you you're completely nonplussed by it, you know, whatever. And it's not until you after you have that experience that you begin to find intellectual ways to justify whatever it was you were feeling. Oh, I hated mm. it because of this, or I loved it because of this. But that's an that's a secondary act that's an attempt to organize your thoughts and an attempt to understand what your emotional inner landscape is. And I think what this movie does so incredibly well is it says when you are emotionally um, beset on all sides by the chaos of a society that is indifferent in uncaring unfeeling and in the process of extreme change extreme chaotic change um, the politics that pops out the other side is a product of that so Mm. when he brings home sorry for the spoiler when he brings home a gun and he adopts his conservative in-laws and they're like you know what's going to make us feel better let's shoot the cop you bribed earlier <laughs> right no, let's let's um that that they're 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 not really making a choice to be political they're yeah. just 
in the chaos of their emotions and their feelings. And I think that's what Jules Pfeiffer is talking about. I think he's talking about how conservatism emerges out of times of trouble and duress and socioeconomic hardship. The problem is, of course, is, and I think it's in the movie in a very subtle way, he's also saying that uh, uh, socioeconomic hardships also come from conservative politics. So you start mm. to enter into this, like, this cycle, right? That, that it's a you, Sisyphean right. cycle that yeah. never seems to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, when I, I think if there's one criticism I can level at the last five minutes, I do wish when they are shooting people in the street that we saw through the barrel, I know that sounds malicious. <laughs> why? I know that, what do you, I just, why do you need that? No, because it just, it does feel like it's too closed off at that point. Because when they say they killed the Lieutenant, was it Lieutenant price was his name? I believe the, yeah, de- yeah. the detective. I wish that we need, they just say, Oh, you shot him. It's like, it would have been nice to like, see it this is like probably another aspect of the filmmaking that we're saying is like the filmmaking is fine but well, I well, that might have been budgetary as, as it might have yeah, been budgetary yeah. but <laughs> i do think that we could have just seen something in something in the street like just but that maybe sounds, let's, that sounds horrible but i just that's the one thing i would say like you're like would, could it be could ha- this movie be more like call of duty that's really what i need i think that um <laughs> <laughs> yes and the main character of call of duty 4 is is price there you go there you go <laughs> But uh, yeah, that, that's my one thing. I'm not saying like it needs to be like a video game. I'm just saying it just to hammer home that sort of conservative opinion. Like this is their perspective, literally their perspective. Mm. Like, mean, it doesn't you know, matter who the target is. Just shoot something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to, I probably haven't done enough research <laughs> before in this podcast. I can't speak to why they made creative choices that they made, whether they were pragmatic choices because of budget or they, or, or it was, it or they, literally chose not to show or they're not interested in showing the kind of violence that they're commenting on which is kind of i think creative restraint uh but i i you know it doesn't bother me if it's the choice the filmmakers made the i think the intent and the and the the i think the intent was transmitted to me and uh, uh you know i'm cool with it Maybe I'm too. It, maybe I'm just very numb. <laughs> it, well, it would have been more cinematic. I, like I, I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. It would have lined up with the the shot that they had earlier through the camera uh, in the park. So like I, yeah, I, that I, could be a parallel to it. That would yeah. have been a nice parallel. Like hey, he's using a camera and seeing through that lens, and now he's using a gun seeing through that lens. But <laughs> let's hypothetically greenlight getting those shots, and uh, <laughs> that'll really flesh out the end. Fifty years later, let's do the reshoots and Listen. add them to the movie. <laughs> Hey, they did it for Highlander <laughs> 2. We'll use AI to fill in the shots that Oh, we shut up. <laughs> no. Of Alan Arkin, of a young Alan Arkin getting his head blown off. Uh, People will love it. I apologize. I, uh, I take well, it back. And, and I take that, it back. That too, like when uh, when Patsy gets shot, that whole sequence is like out of oh. nowhere. It is like they go in for the kiss and then boom, it is happening. Like there's nothing cinematic about it. It almost feels like lights out during the middle of the play. You know well, what I mean? Like, yeah. It is very 70s in that that sort of pull away so that you see the gunman, the completely unidentified gunman, right, you know, at the right. end of it. Um, Did anybody else get vibes of the conversation a little bit? That the uh the Francis Ford Coppola film, the conversation. Anybody else get some huh. vibes of that sometimes? No, elaborate. Well, like when he's doing the when he's using the tape recorder with his with his family and he's kind of sitting there just like 
sort of analyzing things mm-hmm. or even that sequence where like the gun that you, you have the uh the zoom out and you see the gunmen firing through the window it feels a bit like that maybe it's maybe it's just like osmosis what are the maybe. dates what let's let's look up i think the curiosity. conversation was i think that was 68 i want to say it was 68 it was right after french connection i believe i think and and sometimes there's just 74. a similarity oh it's 74 oh, this is before oh well another yeah. movie that is damn created wow. by little murders oh man wow okay i take it back holy shit right well i mean i you know i mean you may have gotten that vibe totally but this only speaks to my point at the top of the podcast i feel like this movie it's one of those things that influenced a lot of people uh but the general audience never sees it never talks yeah, about it yeah you know, it's he, got he, like six thousand logs on letterbox or something he he tapped yeah. into a genre that just got fleshed out later. It feels like, you yeah, know what I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I think. I mean, I, that's why I call it the spearhead of American surrealism in many ways. Um, not not that the conversation is surrealist, but you know, there the um, there's just I just think there's something very unique for its time happening here. Um, yeah, and I think it's interesting that a cartoonist wrote it because mm. uh, you know Jules Pfeiffer was a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Uh, uh, made cartoons for the New Yorker. Um, but if you Google his stuff and you look at it, you know, there's certain aspects about cartooning that lend itself to a surrealism in film mm. because cartooning has no motion and no sound. <clears throat> the way we move through time can be very, if you try to apply motion and sound, it can get very kind of <clears throat> discombobulated and disjointed and seem yeah. surreal. Right. And I think, I think that, he had an advantage in being a cartoonist because he well, could and, create caricatures. Yeah. And, yeah. No. Yeah. That totally tracks. Cause I could see this as like a, a four panel reoccurring comic strip of, you know, yeah. this like schlubby, New York photographer guy, and he just <laughs> hit something. Uh, he'll put himself out. He'll have an issue, put himself out there, and it goes horribly wrong. Yeah, and it's a, yeah. and it's a reflection yeah. in New York. I could see the whole comic, and like I could see the thing in my head. There is a it, comic that reminded me of. Have you ever read the, the comic Wilson, the Dan Close book Wilson? Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. it reminds me a little bit of that. The movie's not great. It's it's it's, a, it's got nice moments, but it's not great. Um, but yeah, there, the, the the comic is pretty good. I recommend. There is it. no way Dan Klaus has not seen Little Murder. There's no way. There's oh no yeah, way. It, it, this does feel like like you go back to um, a velvet glove uh, cast an iron. Velvet, yeah, yeah. Or um, was it uh, is it Ghost World? Uh, yeah, a little bit of yeah. that in there. Like there's th- th- you can just see shades of this all over yeah. his work. Yeah. How does something like this get distributed back at that time? Is this like a word of mouth type thing? Is this something that would have gotten like you know trailers and previews this was a 20th uh, century fox film this was yeah. distributed by fox so they but this is an old ass fox logo too that oh looks a little true. different on the boot up you know what i mean it's true yeah and fox is fox is now disney so this will never get a re-release unfortunately yeah um, um i don't i don't know the answer to your question except uh like jesse said i mean it was a major studio release um but you know, look, we still had the exploitation market was was going, you know, was going strong. Yeah. Um, you know, there there were still drive-ins. There were there were lots and lots of midnight movie houses. I mean, I I don't know how this movie did in its moment. I think probably not so well. 
uh, or yeah. or maybe there would have been more critical steam um, behind it now. But there certainly it wasn't certainly because the culture wasn't like prepared for it. You know what I mean? Like there were ways mm. to watch something like this. Um, it might have just been a little too early, but you know we did get some late sixties. Jedorowski films, you know, hit the market. And like I said, the exploitation market was going strong. We had yeah. received America was, you know, embracing Italian horror uh, from the Giallo and, and stuff from this point. So there, there was a place for this kind of youth culture surrealism <clears throat> and, mm. and cynicism and, co- and comedy or satire. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know why it, it's so, you know, it's fascinating. So I, um, I was, eating breakfast at like this French bistro in Santa Monica, like 12 years ago with my now wife. Swish. Kelly. Yes. And a uh, swish. I love the dad. when He's like, he's a swish. A swish. Yeah. No, uh, I meant, I meant in the basketball way. <laughs> I know you did. But I just reminded me of it. That's and, a uh, different kind of swish. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, and I was sitting there eating with, uh, Kelly and I heard a very, very distinct and clear, voice behind me that I'd heard all my life and I asked Kelly without turning around is Elliot Gould behind me? And she said uh, yeah, yeah, he's the only other table in here. He's, he's there with a friend. I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I tried to keep it cool. We meet a lot of famous people living in Los Angeles. I've even worked with some, been to their houses. I, I watched a, you know, I, I, I watched a famous rock star's dog shit on his floor once. You know, it's something that happens living in Los Angeles. But L.A. Gould is pretty special to me being a real fan mm. of 70s cinema. And um, so I did something I never do, which is when he got up to leave, I stood up and I stopped him. And what I said was, oh. um, Mr. Gould, I think Little Murders is a masterpiece. It's a fantastic film. And he seemed a little dismissive, uh, hmm. maybe because it didn't do so well at the, when it was released. And he said, well, Jules Pfeiffer is a genius. That's what he said. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then he said, do you come here often? And I was like, no, but I could. I could come here all the time. And Kelly, who read his tone, realized he was <laughs> asking if he needed to find another breakfast place. Like oh, if no. I was going to like, <laughs> <laughs> like haunt him. Like oh, show no. up there all the time. So she's like, no, 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 no. We live in Venice. It's fine. We just happen to be in the neighborhood for the day, Mr. Gould. Oh, and he left. But that's just a, a way of, of to, well, one to name check a little bit. But also just to oh, say sh- that, like, even when I tried to bring it up to him, I was hoping I could get something from him about it, you know? And and he didn't he didn't emote a lot about it. Now, maybe that's sure. just because I'm a fucking stranger accosting him in a breakfast you know, um, well, and, and who knows what, like what 1970s era feels like in his mind to go back to, you know what I mean? Like, like he had a whole life of his own, uh, at that time. So (laughs) maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a bad era for him to even want to revisit. I want to give anybody the benefit, especially like celebrities, give them the benefit of the doubt of like, all right, no, yeah, yeah. You've anything could have been happening at the era of this movie that I'm bringing up. That's a sore spot for you that I would just never know because I'm just a happy little (laughs) fan to see you. I I get it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I, I, you know, he was like the it boy of the seventies. He was yeah. like the it boy, like Elliot yeah. Gould. Didn't um, Long Goodbye come out not too long after this? Yeah, let's look up the date on that. Hold on. Let me I wanna say that was seventy five, I wanna say. 
dude, this movie predates everything. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so Elliot Gould really makes his big, yeah, 73. Good. good. Oh, there you go. But let's look up MASH, because that's really when Elliot Gould explodes. See, MASH is 70, <laughs> 1970. So this is yeah. like, this is, you know, that's got, of course, him with Donald Sutherland. That's why and, Donald Sutherland is in the film, because MASH was yes. 70. So, okay, that's why, okay. And Gould He's like, is yeah, the producer my, on the film. Let's get my buddy Donald to come on in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so if I'm looking now at Gould's, you know, okay, so he had gotten, so he was in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, and if I remember correctly, he was nominated for an Academy Award in that. That's 1969. Wow. And then MASH is huge. So this is the first... He, and he's in a whole bunch of movies after that that I don't, you know, I don't think made much of a splash after MASH. Um, so Little Murders is really uh, in this moment between MASH and The Long Goodbye. So from 1970 to 1973, where he doesn't have very many hits. Yeah. Um, and then. So he's, he was probably kind of like, eh, it's just another one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then after that, then you get like California Split, you get Nashville. Yeah. You know, he starts to really become uh, like, you know, a, pr- a, pr- a pretty well-known leading man at that point. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then is he retired now? I believe he is retired at this point. I think. I don't know. He's big. Oh, no. He's wasn't small. he in a- wasn't he in Asteroid City? Wasn't wasn't he in Asteroid City just now? I Was think it? everyone is in Asteroid City. I think, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> every actor. I I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of over Wes Anderson. I'll wait till it's streaming. I don't know. I saw a French I, Dispatch. I liked it at the time. I tried watching oh, it's it recently. terrible. I tried. I made it halfway through a second watch, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm done." Oh <laughs> I my made god! A mis- I, I made a mistake. <laughs> the, Timothy, a mis- the Timothy Chalamet thing is so oh. cynical about youth politics. I can't even stand it. He's uh. like the most. Uh, Wes Anderson is a, a like a secret fascist. He's like a hidden <laughs> secret fascist. You know he is. <laughs> like I mean, um, <laughs> he's definitely yeah. trying to uphold whiteness. We'll definitely, I'll give him that. One hundred percent. Has there ever uh, been a black person in any of his movies? Yeah, yeah. There, there's one. Uh, every, I'm being facetious. <laughs> yeah, there's one. Uh, it doesn't look like he's retired. It looks like he did a movie with Jonah Hill this year. <laughs> oh, that's a bad name to be associated with right now. Oh no. Oh my God. What? He came back as cool Ruben for Ocean's Eight. Is that real? What? Don't make me watch Ocean's Eight. Oh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to complain, dude. Isn't Rihanna in it? Like, I, I'd watch that all day. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> wow, he might have come back for Ocean's Eight. That's wild. I hear children screaming in the background. What's oh, happening? sorry, my window's open because it's a hot, <laughs> hot summer day. Oh yeah, we do have a, a little heat advisory out here. It's an air advisory over here. It's nice Ooh. and smoky outside. Thanks, Canada. Blame Canada. <laughs> <laughs> They're not a real country anyway. Uh, so, Little Murders. Josh, any any uh, any little tidbits? I, I feel like sometimes we go through these movies like you clean a crab and you're just yes. trying to find the little last pieces of meat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and anything that pops out to you just uh, worth mentioning? That we haven't already talked about? I mean... 
Well, plays get remakes all the time. I'm I'm yeah. happy to play the little pitch game. Who would you, uh, Timothy Chalamet oh, in the lead? Yeah. <laughs> I can't, oh no, you're I trying to make the... you're trying to secretly get Josh to do a film rescue right now. You're not no, not, no, no, no film rescue. Just uh... I can't. Uh, I'm so bad at that game. I I don't see the. I think I, it's so of its moment and of its time. I don't yeah. know how you how you do it. I will say though, on the Timothy Chalamet front. Um, I never really got it. I'm a 51-year-old, relatively straight man. Never straight, mostly forward. But uh, <laughs> but I, I never really got it. But I did see the, the, the kind of YA vampire movie. The fuck was that called? Uh, Raw. Jesus, man. You know, since I got... Bones and all? Bones and all. Bones and all. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't uh, care for it. Oh, I really liked it, and I understood. I, I like got, I got it after that. Like I understand. <clears throat> I was like, oh, okay, I see, I see Timothy. Sh- I see, you know, I, I, I fucking. He he I looks like every that kid that skateboarded when I was growing up. I mean, yeah. <laughs> isn't he supposed uh, to be like? Isn't he like twenty five or something like that? He still looks like he's fifteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fa- I'm face blind to the, like the medium length brown hair <laughs> twink look. Like they all look the same to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I I finally in that movie, and I think it's because it's kind of an un- unapologetically romantic young adult movie. I mean, that's kind of what I liked about it was it's not for me, you know. Like I, uh, it's, it's it's not really it's not for me. It's it's for young people, and I, I like <laughs> things being for young people. And um, is, is is this what you mean by watching movies less critically? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, does it does it does it make you not ever want to watch Dune Part Two? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll probably watch Dune Part Two, but I'll probably it's wait three hours it's, fifteen mm. minutes, man. Yeah, man. Ooh. I'll wait till it's on HBO. I'll sit there you on go. my couch. I'll start it at eight p.m. I'll get high out of my fucking mind. I won't remember a quarter of it. There you go. And uh, I'll just phase out. You know, I recent I do that. That's my Villeneuve experience. I did that with the new Blade Runner film, which I finally, <laughs> finally got over the fact that there was a sequel and engaged with it. And, uh, you know, you just you just get on the couch and you get high. You get a movie. Could, I, you won't believe the shit that I've seen. Have you ever seen Park Lanes? You know what this is? Park Lanes is a um, <clears throat> a 12 hour movie, a real time documentary about a about people who construct like bowling alley equipment in a factory. It's there's very little dialogue. I watched that whole movie, man. Or it's well, eight hours, I think. It's a, it's a full work shift. This sounds like an Andy Warhol thing. Uh, it's it you know it postdates some of Andy Warhol's long experiments in film, but um, huh. I I quite liked it. I had it on all day while I worked, and uh, uh, and it really made me reminisce on what a work day is, and like I was at home making mm-hmm. comic books and they were like out in the cold walking to work I felt like you sort of I sort of needed to see a real what, job what what the yeah. nine to five experience is like yeah yeah I need I need to take the one day out of my life and like uh, like <laughs> experience their their experience yeah <laughs> do you feel so, good that you have the job that you have <laughs> Yeah, man, my job is awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't. Uh, yeah, it's it's worth being poor to do it. Yeah, which is exactly the trade off I made. Yeah. Better than well, taking back to photos Blade Runner, of you're shit. Getting, you're getting two more sequels to Blade Runner. You're getting the TV show, uh, and you're getting you're getting a video game, which is was it twenty thirty three? Well, video game, I I is fine. 
Um, well, and yeah. that's assuming you don't count all the short films they did uh, in the interim oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did all those, so yeah. Yeah. I probably won't watch the TV series. I think it's like twenty ninety nine after the replicants rise up. It's a giant war, something like that. Why is there no Blade Runner anime? That's my question. Uh, watch Cyberpunk Edge Runners. It's Blade Runner anime. That's what I'm saying, though. Like that it's that just, one just did well. That. So it's, it's it's just it's just Blade Runner. <laughs> I just want something to- tonally different than you Cyberpunk. can even find Roy Batty's dead body in Cyberpunk on a rooftop, just sitting there as he's dead. You can even find his body. So there you go. That's Sweet. cool. Just call it a Blade Runner game. Was that in one of the DLCs, or did that ship? With no, the it's in the original game? game. It's in the original game. It's on one of the rooftops and somewhere you can find. Yeah, it's like a little Easter egg. So they couldn't be arsed to pull together a decent game, but they could be arsed to Easter egg the <laughs> shit out of it. They cool. did fix it. It's it's actually playable now. It's actually okay. Now. That's what it's, people say. It's still not great. It's fine. You know, it's the No <laughs> it's... Man's Sky path to redemption. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Ga- games are made in slow motion now. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like building a car and driving it at the same time. Exactly. It's getting out the shop, I swear. Listen, the Lego yeah. movie got away with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we're way off topic. So one thing I wanted to talk about real quick was yeah. uh, the physical media aspect of this film. Uh, this was a smaller movie. It's a lower lower budget. There, You said there's a Blu-ray that's been released by, what was the name of the company, Josh? What was Indicator. It Indicator, yeah, but um, it's still probably hard to find. That's something that's been bugging me recently. Eleven dollars um, on Amazon. Eleven dollars on Amazon. It's with regards to physical media and studios not wanting to release oh my God. physical media. What? I'm so sorry. A hundred dollars on Amazon. Please yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> Just go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's free on YouTube. There's a VHS yeah. tape you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull my VHS player out for thirty two ninety five. Wow! <laughs> Even oh, the DVD that's not a Blu ray is selling right now for sixty two dollars. So that is yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. That that's something I wanted to bring up is that there's been a significant push away from physical media, and I don't like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were talking about Dawn of the Dead a couple weeks ago, and the original Dawn of the Dead, because of rights issues, you can't get the original film on Blu-ray unless you get the ultimate edition, which is now long out of print. Mm. It goes for like, what is it, $150 on eBay, something like that stuff. It's it's near impossible to find. I don't even yeah. think there is a Blu-ray. I think it's just a DVD set. But um, the fact that there are so many studios that are willing, like George Lucas is notorious for this, um, not wanting to release original versions of films. It really bothers me because this is part of film history. You can say that there are some films that don't that aren't a part of film history. Like last year we talked about the Tom Green film Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I love that. That one. is absolutely a part of film history. Exactly. I love that movie and there is no Blu-ray. The studio has buried it. And so it bothers me that studios are moving away from this and you have Max is now removing shows from its streaming service in order to not yeah. pay actors residuals, selling off rights to other studios. Just and it's be- downright deleting things two weeks after they've been uploaded. Yeah. What was that film that was on Disney Plus? Was it Crater? Yeah. That uh, Yeah, that was on Disney Plus for about seven weeks, and they never did a digital release, and they deleted it from Disney Plus, and now you can never find the film anywhere. They just gone. Like, the film doesn't exist anymore. 
it's 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 not illegal, but it is highly highly unethical. Oh, and yeah. it bothers me that not there is no maintenance of this anymore. And that's why I appreciate things like Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Vinegar Syndrome. That's why I appreciate companies like this because mm. they're finding things that otherwise would never be maintained. And I I wish that there was like an official like modern release of this in some <clears throat> in some capacity, even just another DVD set. But it's, I think you know, it's just it bothers me. You know, there's very few people to champion it. Jules Pfeiffer is still alive. Um, mm-hmm. Also, he wrote, like, Carnal Knowledge, by the way. He, like, wrote a bunch of cool movies. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Gar- Carnal Knowledge with Art Garfunkel. It's awesome. I have not seen that, no. Uh, it's a really interesting film about toxic masculinity because you need more of that in your life. But, um, uh <laughs> I, I, know. I don't. I that's, don't. Know. That's kind of weird. There's a nice, that's a nice companion piece with the end of this film and going into that. Yes. Film. Like, yes. Exactly. I get so, it. I get it. I don't know. You know, like who 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 benefits from a movie like this, like being viable? Except, of course, I feel like uh, to you know to enlarge in your argument, Jesse. I feel like um, we're we're in a real danger of losing the the twentieth century's. You know huge swaths of the 20th century's main media expression, which is film. And certainly things like Criterion and Turner Classic Movies. I mean, I love what you said about Shop Factory. I totally agree. They're out there, uh, you know, they're out there like finding these these, um, low-budget, forgotten-by-time movies. They're resurrecting them. They're protecting them. They're making sure they get full digital transfers. This is really, really important work. Mm. But the big boys in this business were Turner are Turner classic movies in yeah. Criterion. And Criterion right. is essentially funded by a separate tech company. I mean Criterion yeah. as far as I know doesn't make any money at all. It's just a it's just one of like the one decent tech bro in the world decided to to pursue his passion for film and Turner classic movies just got purchased, right? By a by a billionaire who doesn't give a fuck. Who, who right. has no regard yeah. for the history of 20th century cinema, um, which yeah. is the history of 20th century. So yeah. it's really a dark time. I know they, and I know that uh, you know Scorsese and P.T. Anderson and Spielberg, they sort of forced their way into Turner Classic Movies after the buy, and now they're positioning themselves to protect the assets, uh, and that's amazing. But we're in this system where very influential millionaires and billionaires have to give a shit. For us to, we you know, we don't we don't have an actual institutional regard for mm. this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's it's just on the whims of millionaires now, and yeah. um, it's really it's really scary. You know, I mean, I, I think to you know, it's one thing the twenty first century's f- film history is spotty at best, and I don't even <clears throat> mean whether it's a good film or a bad film. These are subjective terms that don't matter. Yeah, I, I mean in the I mean in the way that like, you know, films that know, could be considered like classics, like not even classics. Just what are they? How? Why are they important to the culture? Yeah, and I right. don't mean because of their content, but like how were were they made in a certain way? Like for instance, one could argue, regardless of what you think of the movies, that the Avatar films have a certain importance because there's there was a level of technological investment mm-hmm. in them that we can yeah. see as as a historical uh stamp in in cinema like the, right. the tech that was used for avatar will continue to be used that's a historical moment we don't have a lot of those in the 21st century we yeah. have a lot of 
uh, we have a lot of of technological um, dumbing down, like quality going down, so you know, so that certain things can be cheaper to make. Hmm. Uh, the only real advancement in the 21st century that I could tell is um, the democratization of the tools, which is really important. The SLR yeah, camera, yeah. home video, being able to edit video on your, you know, um, Jafar Panahi gets to make films even though he's banned in Iran just because <laughs> all he needs is a little camera and he can run around and make movies. That's really right. important. Those SLR tiny little movies need to be protected. But other than that, I don't give a fuck about the 21st century, quite frankly, but the 20th century <laughs> is it's all there. The movement from, you know, into talkies from celluloid to film stock from these are really important technological advances. Yeah. And, and, and then the content of these films uh, are, are undoubtedly the single greatest record of the way people lived, thought, imagined, and dreamed in the 20th century. And the 20th century might be one of the most important centuries in the history of the human species. So mm. film is integral to making that work, even if it's Blood Bay or <laughs> Little Murders or right. Cannibal Holocaust. These are important. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted yeah. to rant I mean in my own special way. <laughs> in two years ago, when we did our uh, our best and rest of 2021, you said that you were very uh, inter interested in the where streaming was going uh, <laughs> in in the future. How things changed? <laughs> did I say that? That doesn't. You sound did. Like <laughs> you did. Yeah, you said you were interested in how streaming was changing the market, and now things are not looking great. I mean, we have great things on streaming. I mean, while we have great TV shows like Barry, we also have garbage like The Idol, which I. Oh my god! Watched one episode. Of, I watched one episode and I bailed. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I kind uh. of, I mean, it's kind of always been. I I don't think the ratio of shit to quality. And again, these are so subjective. These terms. Yeah. I don't think that ratio has ever really changed. I think it's always been 95 percent shit, five percent really interesting stuff. <laughs> um, Although this year I was. Lot, more yeah it's just a bigger numbers game now <laughs> because I, I, right I, I was mentioning this to seth and hope earlier this week i said that this year has been dog shit for film i'm sorry man i know that sounds really mean i mean i haven't been to the movies too much because there has, just hasn't been much i've wanted to see like i i've like we've had how many bigger movies and even smaller movies come out this year and they're just kind of like either bad or eh you know i mean yeah mm, like you, you agree with me, Seth? This hasn't been a great year. No, yeah, I mean we we have we have some some great highlights, but I the the I think the bad ones are like making, they're so big that they just overshadow everything. Yeah, like the I I I think that what feels different this year is that everything that is. Uh, tanking in in that way is kind of like tanking in epic huge ways like the flash is nothing but you can't talk about that movie without stepping in shit right like yeah it's it used to be that just movies were just bad Dwayne the Rock Johnson's making Hercules and it's like it's a stinker but it doesn't matter because it's like people could go to the movies and have fun with it if you talk about it, it it'll just disappear into the vapor yeah now I mean granted we're only halfway through the year I mean there is a lot of stuff that is coming out later this year that I do want to see sure um, but yeah, it just it just feels like typically like throughout throughout each year, I mean, we typically have like two or three like solid films per month, maybe like even 
one a week that are pretty solid. But it feels like we're really struggling to find like a, just a consistency this year. Mm. I don't know if maybe I'm just being cynical, but it really does feel like there hasn't been much that's been just of just good quality. But also, you like know? you know, you sort of have to. Um, I'm I'm like clicking around on my, my laptop <laughs> here. You sort of have to look outside of your. Um, you know, look outside of American mainstream cinema. Sure. And I think you'll find that there is a lot of interesting stuff being done. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, After Sun came out last year. There's the, uh, there's like two, Harakazo Koridi, I know I pronounced this wrong, Koridi, the uh, fil- Japanese filmmaker that I really love, Korean filmmaker, sorry, fucking all over the place tonight there's past lives came out which is really good broker came out fallen leaves there's a lot of foreign cinema that's interesting but we fixate on you know we fixate on these american mainstream big budget movies and it's not where the juice is Mm, Um, yeah you know so I, i i don't think it's any worse than ever you just have to lean forward you have to like look outside of the movies that are being marketed to you and you have to find there's a, there's really amazing artists making really amazing work all the time um but it doesn't always get delivered straight to your streaming device or sure it doesn't get advertised at you, you yeah know? i really I think- should i really should get a fire stick so that way i can watch things outside of you know my normal streaming services mm. are just you know rip it all off the internet i i, I <laughs> you're like, anti-piracy though that's the thing you know i'm anti-piracy am i i'm not sure that i am honestly yeah. i don't know that i've ever made that that argument i i i, I think we're on like the third movie he shared with us from the uh from the dregs <laughs> of the internet i think that's, uh, that's yeah <laughs> you know i think that if if it's a big budget film from a major corporation steal it if it's uh, if it's a small budget film and you can get access to it by paying for it, pay for it. If it's a mm. small budget film and you can't get access to it by paying for it, steal it. That's kind of that's kind of where I land on all that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sound logic. <laughs> and and also if if people become a little bit and I know it's hard, man. People have jobs and they don't. I'm very fortunate in that I sure. sit at a computer all day, but. Um, you know, if you you were talking about not being able to save <clears throat> the cinema of, of the 20th century and, and even the 21st century, which is crazy. We're only 20 years into it. And we're already losing. Right. Media. Yeah. But um, which is insane. But, you know, I think that um, sorry if you can hear my phone. But I think that uh, um, if, you know, there are things like the Internet Archive and there's just a lot of ways like I can kind of see whatever I want to see. Right. I think um, yeah. I can't remember the last time I wanted to see something, no matter how obscure, and I didn't ultimately find it. I think there was a Finnish fairy tale film from the 80s that I couldn't find mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year. So there is a way to do this. There is a community out there. They're doing it. Capitalism isn't servicing it, but internet, uh, you know, communism is. Right. (laughs) No, yeah, internet communism can come to the rescue. I had one, a a made-for-TV film from the 80s that I saw as a kid and remembered, like, clips of the plot, and I just kind of seeded it out into the different 
dregs of the internet where you can find your your comment boards and your message boards. And I was like, does anybody know what this is? I know there's a Baldwin in it. That's all I know. <laughs> the, the face is a Baldwin face. And lo and behold, it took like 10 years. And I get a Gmail update that's like, hey, a message board you used to be on uh, just got a response. And I was like, oh, let me go check this out. Uh, and it's, it's this internet communism. Somebody found it and researched and grabbed the move and they were like it's called yesterday's target i've uh-huh. updated i've updated <laughs> wikipedia so you can find it now was yeah. that a St- was that a stephen baldwin film yes it was yes yeah, it was i know what you're talking about <laughs> i know what you're talking about it was like a rip off of the x men where uh instead of professor x being a old white man he's a young black kid and it's actually kind of cool so what I'm aiming for here is I want to leave our audience with something a little tangible. Like we, we've, we've been wrapped on the knuckles for watching too much American movies now. Where should, <laughs> where should people go uh, to, to find these like not uh, mainstream, not Wikipedia posted movies? Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh, like, wh- like what, is a, what is a resource? What is something that if, if somebody's listening and they're going, all right, I want to see these cool ass not, on streaming movies, uh, where do you go to look for that kind of stuff? Are you, are you like, you mentioned Letterboxd earlier. That's, I know yeah. that's a, a huge resource right now. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, is that yeah. the diving place? Is there any other areas well, you recommend? A little leaning forward in, in uh, Letterboxd will, will definitely unearth something you've never heard of. It won't take long and it'll unearth something you've never heard of. And it might take some resources to find it, uh, but you can. And there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, online, you'll be able to, there, like I said, there's Internet Archive. There's a lot of different places um, and resources that you'll find if you start looking into it. But there's also communities. And mm. one thing you, I don't want to turn this into an advertisement for Letterboxd, but it has really, really profoundly helped me find my communities, find the people who are interested in the kinds of films I'm interested in, and ultimately move conversations over to Discord where we can have really robust file trading and all these kinds of things. Now, this is, again, it's a very lean forward kind of process. And I yeah. understand that that's hard for a, a lot of people who, who have have really busy lives and come home tired and don't want to do all this. There's also some really, st- I mean, first of all, YouTube, <clears throat> I mean, as, as has been pointed out, Little Murders is on YouTube. YouTube is a great resource. There are a lot of movies on YouTube um, that have been sort of forgotten by capitalism, yeah, uh, that thrive on YouTube, and, and and I I would argue they're some of the best movies you can watch. And also, mm. if you can afford it, it's a little bit. It's one of the more exp- expensive streaming services. But I don't know how you love movies and don't have a Criterion subscription. Yeah, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's mm. literally the only important. And now that Turner Classic Movies has, has been subsumed by a millionaire who does not care about movies, mm. uh, uh, if you can, if you can't, I mean, it, you know, it's a little bit financially steep. So, you know, steal if you can't afford. But if you can afford, supporting Criterion is definitely a, a good step. And and, yeah. um, mm. and and it will also blow your world open if you're if you're into it. If you if you're if you think it's interesting to watch an Italian film, you know, uh, from the '60s when they were they were still dealing with coming out of fascism, if you think it's interesting to watch, a, you know, 
something from mainland China. These, it's going to open up your world so much. It's going to change the way you view things. It's going to, it's going to remind you of the universality of the human condition. Mm. <laughs> it's going to make you more caring, more loving. I mean, loving movies uh, literally made me a better human being, right? But but it's not going to be Mission Impossible thirteen. Or whatever it's gonna, you know that movie is a that's a that's that's a politician of a movie that's a movie that wants to kiss every baby and shake every hand right I mean, it right it's not here but you do you do get to see tom cruise jump off a mountain so you do get to see that. i don't know why when tom cruise does a real stunt it's not interesting to me why okay so it it's the jackass phenomenon now it's like we, we understand that Johnny Knoxville could die, and so we kind of don't want him to do it anymore. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah, <laughs> true. yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I, I mean, I literally the greatest filmic experiences of my life are watching Jackie Chan hurl his body through space. <laughs> right, right. Like, why, uh, why don't I get the same thrill from watching Tom Cruise do it? I don't know if it's how they film it. Like it looks so shiny and and and. Ugly. They're very. They're very glossy. They're very. Yeah. I, yeah they're, I don't know if it's because it's Tom Cruise and I do not give a fuck if he gets hurt or not. I don't know why it's not <laughs> thrilling to me, but uh, um, but I do. I, I like your theory though, Seth. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. What's your heist alternative then, Mister Dysart? The what? Where? Where would you turn to if you wanted to see a a heist movie that falls into this undercurrent of film that we're talking about? Is that what is that what Mission Impossible? I guess so. I guess they're like heist movies. Dude, they I, like a, they're they, definitely kind not, of become that. Yeah, they're yeah. definitely not Call of Duty Call of Duty movies. You know what I mean? They're not right, right. Yeah, I, I, think, I from think like the, the the fifth movie on, they're kind of like heist movies. They're, they're, a little bit. I think they're all government. The first one starts yeah, off of with a heist. Are. What are you talking about, Jesse? <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Fuck, you're right. That is a heist movie. Shit, you're right. I mean, isn't he always hanging upside down with like laser sensors around him? And yeah, shit? like they, they're yeah. just stealing from the government. Yeah, while uh, working for the government, we're stalling well, so well, Dysart can think. I, well, what is the question? Like, where do I go for them, or like, what do no, I? No, no, no. Like, what's I, an alternative? Yeah, yeah. What's throw an, us a, a al- title of uh, an alternative heist movie someone could check out. That's like. Off this beaten oh, path that we're talking about. If not Mission Impossible, I need my heist fix. Send me to another country's heist films, maybe. I, I don't know. I would have to. I would have to think about that. I, I'm, not, I'm. I'm a little bit Johnny on the spot with that hmm. question. Tweet. I don't to follow. know. I don't. What? Let's. Is that? But is that? Let's think about what do people go to for Mission Impossible? They want like really stupid, big, over the top action. Okay, I like this which, approach. Yeah, yeah. I, so yeah, I yeah. want, I want a stunt. I want, uh, I yeah. want like quippy characters. I, I want like, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking for like characters that uh, uh, see like kind of hold their. Mm, is that what people want out of Mission Impossible? Yeah, yeah. They're kind of looking for those like. They're not really emotionally driven. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. They, they, there's nothing authentic about their, the way they're experiencing the story. Itself, right. Right. That they're a little too superhuman to be phased by it all. They're yeah. Like, they're like, well, you had to have Tom Cruise punching Superman. So, you know, <laughs> you know. what is that a reference to? Henry Cavill was in fallout. The, the, 
Dee's the bad guy. The, so. the eighth uh, one. See, I'm not even the right person one. to have this conversation. <laughs> right, right. But he does get a hook through his eye and gets dragged off a cliff. That was kind of awesome. That does well. sound dope. But I bet it doesn't look as cool as it makes it as it sounds. It's That's very CGI. Mis- yeah, it's, they never look as CGI. cool. Like, yeah, if you tell me that, you know, that Cavell gets a hook in his eye and he's yanked off a cliff by the hook, I would watch that movie in a heartbeat, but I know you're trying to trick me. I know that it doesn't look cool. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, it yeah. looks stupid and glossy and lame. Because I'm if sure you can... I'm sure you can find that clip on YouTube and you'll be like, nope. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. If they made that movie in Hong Kong in 1982, <laughs> they, they would have just hired a guy and taken out his eye. Right. <laughs> and it's immoral and it's unethical and I would watch the shit out of it. <laughs> but I don't need to see CGI Cavill, you know. I don't yeah. Know yeah. yeah. Or you could watch the CGI Cavill in Justice League and get see his mustache digitally removed. <laughs> Uh, that's the 21st century stuff we can lose that's the stuff we could lose oh you don't know this story do you to wrap it back around are you asking me no of course you don't don't know this story Uh, so for they had to do reshoots on justice league and he was already shooting fallout at the same time warner brothers wanted him back and they said well he has to shave his mustache and paramount was like fuck you no so they digitally put a mouth over top of henry cavill's face for Joss Whedon's, Joss Whedon's version of Justice League. I like that that, it looks that was awful. easier than shaving the mustache off and then putting on a fake mustache later. Well, <laughs> the, I, the option was... The internet proved that kids could do it better on TikTok. Yes. That that was the real outcome of all that. That was just like kids going like, no, I could do that better in After Effects, and they're all better than what actually went to theaters. <laughs> Anyways, I do have a I do have a recommendation for a kind of heist movie that has really amazing stunts that I actually really like. Okay. Okay. Run, Runaway Train. Ooh. Yeah, that's a, a fun movie. You're based on a yeah. solid so, screenplay. Yeah, uh was it um uh Andre uh, Konchalovsky, I believe was the director. <clears throat> Directed it, yeah. Uh, yeah, good solid film. It's it's one of the few really great movies that Canon made. <laughs> it is silly. It's silly. Oh yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's absurd. It's very it's, absurd. It's silly, but I will say all the but that character, train is that that train's going at high speed, man, the whole time. The the trains are awesome as train porn. It's outstanding. Train um, autism TikTok, we hear you, <laughs> dude. Yeah, they they're already on this. There's no way they're not on this tip already. The, Maybe um, hey, we're uncovering stuff here. I, I've never true, seen Little true. Murders before. This is the beauty of having an older friend. But Mm -hmm. I will say that, um, but the character interactions in that movie are pretty fucking silly. That that director, he also did Shy People, which I recut. Uh, If you go to my YouTube channel, there's a recut of Shy People. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. (laughs) Which I I just chose my one favorite character and and only focused on her and then made the rest of it like a a nightmare visual poem. But (laughs) have you ever ever been to fanedit.org? No. So it's like people will do recuts of films and TV shows and they'll upload them. Be like, hey, here's my version of this story. Oh, I want to. You didn't know this existed? This is a brilliant site. Yeah. I don't know anything about anything. Somebody recut all of the Obi-Wan TV show from six episodes down to two hours. And it's like 10,000 times better than the original show. It's like it's a genuinely good, like just Star Wars film in and of itself. It's it's better than the bloated six episodes that that got released. Mm. Sweet. 
yeah. so R- Runaway Train is visually a delight. It's the characters are John Voight. Really, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Really, that means you have. Yeah. He scene munches like a motherfucker. He's a real chewer, boy. He really <laughs> gnaws on the bone of that thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Let's see. I, I know. I'm trying to think. I, I just. I honestly, I think that Letterbox has completely destroyed my mind. Um, oh. I can't. I can't like access with my own mind anymore all the movies i've all had <laughs> just go to letterbox and see what i've watched so give me an hour and i'll give you my favorite <laughs> ice right right yeah. there was a really good oh, let's see i can't remember the, oh friends of eddie Coyle. um but it's not the same it's not what you're asking for i think in the end when i want stunts i i return to the period when uh, when there were real stunt men and women mm-hmm. and that and they you know the 70s and the in the 80s those movies to me have especially the ones coming out of hong kong and there's definitely a cultural barrier there if you're not used to some of the comedy in hong kong movies and stuff it might mm-hmm. be hard to access that but the stuntage no they they ran faster they jumped higher they fell further and they landed harder oh yeah in hong kong than anywhere else in the world and and then anyone ever will again in the world because it was highly dubious and unethical the way they were making mm, the movie. Right. So we shouldn't be doing that. But we do have an entire body of work now that we can go back to. And I would say if stunts is what you're looking for and you can get past the cultural barrier yeah, that uh, yeah, yeah. some of the Hong Kong films from the 80s and the 70s have, then you're going to see the greatest stunt work ever, ever, ever put on film. Mm. Unquestionably, without a doubt. So good they have to show it to you like three times in a row. And why wouldn't you want to watch it three times from <laughs> right. different angles? I mean, it adds that impact. Boom, boom, and that, boom. Yeah, and that's why I don't know why I get such a thrill watching Jackie Chan hang from the bottom of a helicopter like 500 feet above a, above a city, but I don't get the same thrill watching Tom Cruise hanging off a jet while it takes off. I don't know what I'm missing there because I know that's really Tom Cruise. I know it's, you know, they got the camera all up in his face and shit to make sure we know it's him. Right. And uh, they're both safety the same way. They both probably have a safety wire on. So Yeah, it's... sure. But it's still incredibly insane thing to do. I mean, it's uh, I don't. So I, I, I'm not even. Is it, is it knowing that if mission impossible fails in real life in the stunt there are like insurances and lawyers and things to fluff all that and that would not <laughs> a backup be the, plan that would not be the case in a jackie chan film that it would yeah. be like just tank the entire company yeah that's real I mean, stuff. We'll put, yeah. that's real we'll world put the stakes. ai we'll put the ai generated tom cruise throughout the rest of the movie to fill in for the fact that he's dead exactly and you <laughs> and know he's already signed those rights away yeah you know oh, some some of it might be the safety issues. Like, um, there is no doubt that Tom Cruise is safer doing those stunts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Than, than the Hong Kong stunt people. Or even, you know, like, I mean, I think, you know, great stunts. I know I'm invo- I'm avoiding all the other aspects of your question, like heist movies and all that stuff. I, I don't have the same affinity for heist movies so that people have, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question of. But I do love stunts. Yeah. And I think that... Um, uh, and I think that the tradition of the stunt artist is one of the most interesting traditions in film history, going all the way back to Buster Keaton. And uh, and and so 
I, I just don't think there's very much personality to those Tom Cruise stunts. Sure. I think mm. maybe that's it. There's well, something missing. What, wasn't it kind of gimmicky, too, that it was like, oh, he was this serious actor, and we're going to yeah. do the stunt for real because he's not a stuntman. But now it's like, he's a stuntman. He's a professional yeah. stuntman. <laughs> like, yeah. Now yeah. every actor yeah. every now, actor does their own it's stunts. Like, I mean, like, now work, pony. But, you know what I mean? Like, go do it, yeah. bitch. Yeah. Like, like, and they John Wick... Like John Wick 4, there's that sequence where Keanu Reeves falls down, was it 200 steps of stairs in France? Yeah. You, I, I'm guessing you haven't seen John Wick 4 yet. Um, but, <laughs> I have not. Um, uh, there's a sequence where he falls down 200 steps of stairs on his way up to uh, a church, and it's literally one That's continuous That's not how you get shot. up to anything. <laughs> but it's he, he has to get there by sunrise or else a, a duel is forfeit, whatever. It doesn't matter. But anyways... It's literally one continuous shot falling down 200 steps of stairs, and you can tell it's Keanu Reeves. So yeah. it's like, okay, it's like he's a stuntman too. Yeah. So it's not special anymore, I guess, is what your problem is. It's not, it doesn't have like yeah, enough maybe. personality to it. Yeah. Or the, and I, I also think that it's all become very safe. And look, that's what we want. I'm not, I'm not, right. I'm dangerously close to arguing for movies like being dangerous, and I, I don't want you're, that. You're arguing for snuff films, is what you're arguing <laughs> yeah, for. Yeah. I want I to see that shit. That's not what I want. That's not what I want. But you know, there's that great Werner Herzog line where he's like, there was a time in movies when if you saw something extraordinary, it meant that we did something extraordinary. And um, uh, and I I I I just have more fun. I'm not longing for that to return. I don't want people to be in danger for their lives. But I have more fun watching movies when I know that stuntmen or special effects crews built something with their hands, or there was literally an actual aspect of scale to the film uh, that felt extraordinary. And and I just don't feel that anymore. Maybe mm. I, I, maybe I don't see a lot of movies that would transmit that to me. I, it's not that I don't want to watch John Wick four or don't want to see Maverick or um, I'm, I mean, I'm more interested in those films than mission impossible films. I do, but there's always something more interesting to me out there, like, which, you know, goes back to, which is why I pushed back a little bit on your point about there not being good movies. You know, there is always something I'd rather see, than than John Wick four and so I never get around to John Wick four um uh and yeah so but I just don't feel the scale of it anymore mm. somehow like yeah. I do yeah. watch older films <coughs> maybe it's because but will you but will you go see Barbie <laughs> I fucking will go see Barbie yeah <laughs> I'm excited about Barbie that's gonna be awesome. Uh, people are doing like double features with Barbie and Oppenheimer. Uh, yeah, I'm like, dude. Yeah, I think this is so weird. I think that's going to be my move too. Yeah, oh, man. like I, I'm legitimately kind of getting excited for Oppenheimer. Like, it might be no, good. You're gonna, you're gonna trigger Josh. You're gonna. No, trigger. you're not. No, I'm good. <laughs> you, can, you can, you can like things. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it is interesting. It is interesting seeing that. Maybe it'll massive- be awesome. That massive wheel of film that was it six hundred pounds of IMAX film yeah, or something like that. That's wild. That's just oh my yeah. god. Well, you wanted something extraordinary. That's extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> you asked for it. They delivered it. <laughs> I know. I'm inconsistent with my my <laughs> opinions. Although, have you have you guys heard about IMAX Gate? No. <laughs> so what so, is this? so people are finally figuring out that not all IMAX theaters are created equal because uh-huh. <laughs> uh, apparently Oppenheimer's shot um, chunks in uh, certain aspect ratios that 
only legitimate like IMAX uh, distributors with like certain technical capabilities will be able to display. And if you're going uh-huh. up the street to like your local IMAX, you're not actually getting the full experience. And uh, I just, I it's I find it funny. I just find it a little cute. <laughs> That's all. Like you said, Seth, I can't wait to watch Oppenheimer on the back of an airplane television screen. Yeah, exactly. Just, just the way Chris Nolan intended. Yeah. <laughs> in 4.3 on my iPad while I lay in bed. That's, <laughs> that's the goal. And it's because they made the AirPods so nice. I have the new AirPods, and they're noise-canceling, and it's it's spatial sound. So if you turn your head, it's it like moves. Listen. Awesome. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch it on, you know, on my if I watch it. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I want to give Nolan the benefit of the doubt, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm the one person in the world who doesn't enjoy Christopher Nolan films. But, um, I'll, but if I watch it, it's definitely going to be on my couch, like yeah. on my little yeah. TV. There's no, why? Well, well, I'm not going to go to a movie theater to watch it. Certainly not yeah. going to go to an IMAX to watch it. Right. Where I have to like, yeah, yeah. I don't, don't I you want to see that nuclear explosion? <laughs> I mean, I you know I know what one looks like. I mean, I yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> I want, but, but to almost wrap. We're going, we've gone an hour and a half. I yeah, wanted to yeah, wrap sorry. up a little bit. Um, one last thing. You were mentioned that um, uh, a, it was a cartoonist that was the writer for Jules Little Pfeiffer. Murders. Mm-hmm. To bring this background, Chris Pfeiffer, Jules, Has, Jules Pfeiffer, Jules Pfeiffer. Um, in terms of production for a film like storyboarding or even like script writing i can only think of two other instances where an actual cartoonist or comics writer has actually directly influenced a film like that or maybe no three one would be frank miller sin city obviously two is brendan mccarthy with mad max fury road Mm. and three steve dillon the late steve dillon who's sadly not with us anymore did the storyboards for the uh ill-fated canon film supergirl (laughs) oh wow sweet that one he that did those. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys knew that, but he did the the storyboards for the uh, the film Supergirl with Helen Slater. Huh. Um, can you guys think of anything else that uh, were an actual like comic well, or cartoonist actually, you know, done anything like that? I actually, I'm, and, and I think this is a very separate example from that. In all of those situations, <clears throat> the cartoonist or comic book artist was visually you know uh like creating the the visual tone tonage of mm. the movie for lack of a better mm. and i and with pfeiffer it's it's just the written word or so okay. so so his cartooning maybe in a spiritual spiritual way impacts the movie but there's but he's not he's not storyboarding it he's not, it's a play you yeah. know, he wrote a play. Right, yeah. When you read it on the page, which I've 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 tracked it down, the play on the online, and it, it's it's a play. It's just words. You know, it's so it's it, it's a little bit disingenuous to to com- to put him in that that bucket of films like that. Uh, that is I also, true. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to push back a little bit on the McCarthy Fury Road thing because while he certainly was involved in production, and there is a lot of his ideas particularly in the production design. I'm not sure he storyboarded that movie. Is that true? Really? I think that's true. Yeah. I, I, I thought mean, he, I, I thought he I'm did. Wrong. Maybe I'm Interesting. wrong. Interesting. I, I, I read that book. Was it uh, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome about the history of oh, Fury Road? Well, then you know more where, about it than I do. 
<clears throat> yeah, it, it, that is a book that's right up your alley. You yeah. should definitely read that. It's a very it's fascinating read about the production history of that film. I think he did actually storyboard that entire film, and they had it all like laid out in storyboards all around an entire room. Like, here's the whole movie, and it was everything. So I think that he actually did do the storyboarding on that. He was on board right from the get-go. Uh, McCarthy's like work on Mad Max 4 started more than a decade ago. Yeah. He produced thousands of drawings uh, for its storyboard mm-hmm. and the cover for an early idea to make it a graphic novel. But wasn't yeah. he off that production like years before they started shooting? Or am I wrong? Uh, no, as far as I'm aware, because they because they it had halted production like three times. Well, because yeah, I knew that. The, yeah, yeah it, the yeah. slow motion production like uh, uh also turned out a video game that like yes. had which was quite good. good. Well, and it and it, good. and it had a lot of influence from Fury Road specifically. Um, mm-hmm. that that was like a big part of the the it, so it's kind of like. Probably hard it's to tell. To be a prequel, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 probably hard to tell how much yeah. he was involved across that period. But it from uh, from what I understood in the book, he was like it was him and Miller early on going like this is what we want to lock in the visual of whatever we're doing next, whenever we get to be able to do it. So it's like it's like they they kind of established that look and held that across the the grind of every like restart that they would do. Rock on, yeah. Speaking Which like movies I actually do want to see this year? I do want to see that. <laughs> oh yeah, Furiosa. <clears throat> Furiosa. Oh, is that this year? It should be. I think it's supposed to be like November or December or something like that. I mean, uh, look, you know, I, I, uh, as you well know, I, Mad Max is more important to me than Star Wars. I, right. I think that. Yeah. Um, but it is a little. Uh, now I'm like a little nervous because he, you know, they took it's Warner decades. Brothers. To make no, no, they no Miller himself, whom I love and adore, but you know it, it took him decades to pull together Fury Road, and it, and decades is a long time to process, create, reevaluate, restructure. Um, it's been a much shorter production time for Furiosa, and I hope not true, not true. Okay, okay, re- tell me all all three scripts: Fury Road, Furiosa, and The Wasteland were all written before they even started production on on Fury Road. That's in the book. Okay. They're all done. They're also awesome. good. So they're, they, well, they've already had everything planned out. Like the wasteland is supposed to be the last one. And then it's going to, then he's walking away. Then he's retiring. All right. Awesome. So, so good. At least that's I if Warner brothers doesn't, if Warner brothers lets him do it yeah. at this point, because we have an asshole in charge of Warner right. brothers at this point. Jesus Christ. Oh, I've, I, I mean, I've never seen a bad Mad Max movie and, and, I agree. and fuck you about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was, was awesome. good. We said it was good. Yeah. It just we had some issues with it. No, not acceptable. God damn it! <laughs> Says the guy with a, a, his own fan edit of something. Wow! <laughs> wow, Josh. <laughs> I, I did think of a movie the other day that you would actually be that you would actually might want to do a film rescue of. It's a movie you hate. It's not I Batman. I, I swear. It's what is it? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Because I know you hate that movie so much. See, I would just find a way I to just make, be find a way to make to... Ferris actually pay for his crimes by the end of the movie. Make him not an asshole. Or just what if he's just an ethical person who cares for his friends throughout the whole movie? It does change things drastically. Like then, yes. there's, there's like there's like no, uh, there, yeah. There's no forward push to the plot if he's not actively. If he's not a dick, yeah. if he's not a dick. There's no push to the plot. <laughs> Doesn't I move mean, if he's not a dick. Ma- 
That movie should end with the principal like shooting, like committing suicide. Oh my <laughs> god, that would be great. You know what? That's my film. That's my film rescue take on this. Don't make Ferris Bueller a better person. Make the consequences of his actions on the other people way, way more horrible. Oh. <laughs> like, wow. So that he's just a fucking narcissist just leaving bodies in his wake. Damn. That's how you make that. There you go. It's done. We did it. Cut this part out and call it film rescue. <laughs> Today on your Ferris Bueller micro rescue. <laughs> oh, God. No, I, honestly, well, a dark you, twist to that sounds great. Uh, it always makes me think about that ending we almost got to Clerks, where he gets shot. I wish, oh yeah, I, I, I kind of like it. I don't know. <laughs> but if you have that ending, you don't get the rest of the Viewisk universe. You don't get the rest of it. Oh sure no! Don't. What would we do? What hey. would we have done? <laughs> we don't. We wouldn't have dogma. No, now, wait. Speaking of movies, you can't find anymore. Red State. Oh my God. Red State. Dogma, you can't find them anymore, damn it. Isn't Red State like five years old or something? Didn't it just come out? It was like 2009. Because it was, wasn't it Weinstein's company? Yeah. Uh, uh, because he didn't want, uh, Kevin Smith didn't want Harvey Weinstein to get any money from the profits. And because they couldn't find an agreement, they just can't After he profited from Weinstein for decades and decades. Now he's like, I, I'm guessing he didn't know. <laughs> yeah, is that, I'm guessing that as well. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not gonna go there. That's Listen, that's a whole other debate. The the point <laughs> I'm not gonna the the point of this episode was check out Little Murders first of all. <laughs> uh, second of all, if you like movies like this that you've never heard of that are awesome, you should investigate Letterboxed and get into Discord communities and maybe check out FanEdit.org and maybe check out Internet Archive. Uh, Criterion Collection. Criterion Collection mm-hmm. is a must. Go do your homework, kids. You like movies. You said you liked them, yeah. so you got to eat your vegetables. <laughs> uh, the perfect encaps the perfect encapsulation to the American film system right now. There was a photo that got leaked from the Deadpool three set, and it's an image of the 20th Century Fox logo crumbled into the ground. You know, nice. we we should cut from. <laughs> the the little murders 20th, 20th century fox with the wonky o <laughs> next to the deadpool one that's all messed up and it's like this is that's your amazing. legacy welcome to 20 no 21st century fox for you no <laughs> no oh that's the perfect way to end the episode bro. i agree i agree josh yeah. thank you so much for being here thank you for having me i love coming on i'm well, i miss doing our year end uh, thing for last year, well, but I know it's because you guys didn't want me on because I hate everything. That's what I told I, him. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I was that's like, fair. we we would prefer weren't if you, you weren't like, here. The, weren't you like out of the country or something like that or something? I don't know. No, I haven't left the country since the pandemic. Sadly, no. Uh, yeah, I uh, I wasn't there for that one either. So we'll we'll readjourn in five months. How about that? You come back with your heist movie <laughs> in awesome. your list. I expect a heist movie. Well, I'll you. do my homework. And you better I blow will. our socks off too. <laughs> I will. I'm gonna make a list of heist movies. Fuck yeah! You'll have it in your inbox by tomorrow. Hell yeah! I got. Uh, I'll do the work. <laughs> let's let's bring this ship to shore. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate this, Seth. Thank you very much. Thank you. Absolutely. What a great watch. Yeah, I, I'm uh, really jo- glad you guys enjoyed the movie. I was. I, uh, you never know. You never know. Yeah. 
I needed a little cynicism in my diet now that uh, the entire film industry is at an absolute standstill. <laughs> Here's to pissing your Cheerios. I literally yeah. got this morning a uh, an email from my union saying, yeah, we're at an absolute standstill. We're going to put together a care package for anybody that can't find work. I'm like, thank so, you. So <laughs> uh, you're going to be able to, I mean, we don't need to do this on the podcast, but maybe it's interesting to people, but uh, you're going to, obviously you're going to be able to go on an unemployment uh, I do mainly like corporate stage jam work at this point. Like I got back, I came back from New York in February um, or no, in March. And I came back with a hundred dollars. Mm, <laughs> I lost. Yeah. I lost all my money because everything fell apart. Uh, the industry basically shut down because of the winter. Yeah. And then uh, they were basically already in the talks of doing a strike. So I tried getting on fallout. Couldn't get on fallout. Yeah. Tried getting on the new daredevil show. Couldn't get on daredevil. And uh, I basically just said, screw it, I'm leaving. Came back, started doing corporate stage chain work. I worked almost nonstop from like middle of March until end of May. And I paid off all my debts. I had to borrow money from my mother to pay my rent one month, and I paid her back. So I'm back home. So, yeah, and I'm back home. I moved all my furniture down to my basement. Uh, So, yeah, I'm back here again, which is nice because I don't have to pay $1,400 for a room the size of a prison cell <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it looks a little uh, like a prison cell though from what i can see oh uh, well <laughs> damn it <laughs> there's more to the room it's pretty nice back here <laughs> and and all the bookshelves are in the other room they have like eight of them so yeah <laughs> well so, yeah. if this is actually a hostage video give us some sign right blink in morse code or something blink blink twice <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but uh, but yeah, uh, I'm mainly doing corporate state and stuff. It's it's my bread and butter at this point, mm. which I'm fine with. Yeah, so we have a union meeting on Sunday just to figure out what the hell anybody's gonna do. So, well, I'm glad you yeah. got something to fall back on. Hell yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, Josh, with you, what do you have coming on right now? What do you have coming up in in developments at this point? Uh, I can't really talk about anything yet, but uh, there's a lot of really, really great stuff happening. Um, But what I will do is just promote old work in case anyone has actually made it an hour and 42 minutes into this podcast and not heard me talk about this shit before. But um, from Bad Idea Comics, I've got Odin's Eye and Orc Island. Both are very, very different takes on fantasy uh, and... um, I'm really proud of them. Um, Orc Island, if you're an anti-capitalist, then Orc (laughs) Island's the book for you. And if you're really interested in the way human stories migrate and get told in Odin's Island, uh, Odin's Island. (laughs) Um, Odin's Eye is the story for you. Um, But really, the best way to support me is is if you want to check out my novella, my 100-page novel. It's called Brood X. It's $5 digital, $9 if you want an actual physical copy. I'm really, really, really proud of it, and I'm working on my second novel now. And uh, in my graphic novel, uh, Good Night Paradise, which is a murder mystery that takes place in the homeless community of Venice Beach, California, where I lived for 20 years and was actively involved in the homeless community there. And uh, so that's what I have. But I do have big news. I just can't announce it yet. I'm really excited. Can't wait. Where will you announce the big news when it gets denounced? Uh, uh, I will announce it on my Twitter, uh, where I am... I have cut back considerably since the management of Twitter has become fascist <laughs> assholes. But um, but Threads I'm pretty is much the place there. to be now, apparently. <laughs> I'm, but I'm pretty much. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if Zuckerberg is my answer. Right, Elon Musk. But, what are uh, the options? <laughs> I know exactly. 
But um, but yeah, but I'll I'll promote on Twitter. I'll promote on Facebook too. I'm very rarely on Facebook unless I have something to promote. Uh, you can always find me on Letterboxd, uh, habitual user there. And um, yeah, that's where that's where I that's where I tell the world my news. Uh, now I have to ask this one question because I just it just popped on my feed earlier today because I saw Camilla Sweet. post about going to San Diego. Uh, Helmet Girls is that like dead? Okay, so <laughs> Helmet Girls. Um, I want to be careful and not say anything about Camilla's participation in it. That's her business and that's her her story to tell. I wrote in 2019. Uh, I wrote a 200-page graphic novel. We went through all the notes with Camilla. We then got a contract from Ten Speed Press, <clears throat> which I believe is a subsidiary of Random House. Uh, and I and because I could and I was able to and because I knew that Camilla was going to have a much bigger workload on her hands, I, I didn't take any of the advance money on that. And we were supposed to we had a lot of like tight deadlines, but then the the pandemic really took hold. And then there were some other issues in Camilla's life that is her business and her story to tell. And suffice to say, we are we are no closer to um uh, Helmet Girls graphic novel now, to my knowledge, than we were when I finished writing the script. Um, I I haven't said this publicly. Uh, I'm there's a we can cut this if you want to cut this. If, well, if yeah, I mean, there's a possibility <laughs> that I I could we could do it as a prose young adult novel, and we could instead of making it a full graphic novel, Camilla could do the much less labor intensive work of just doing lots of beautiful illustrations for the book, you know, big double page spreads, spot illustrations, opposing page illustrations, and just make a really beautiful, big hardback artifact of a book. And that might be the answer. Um, I proposed that to her at the beginning of this year and she responded pretty well to it, but then I've just gotten so busy, um, with my bad idea work uh, that I haven't gotten to go back to that, but it's sort of my intention to reach out to 10 speed press and see if they would be interested in that. Cause we're way behind. I mean, we have completely yeah. blown through all of our, our deadlines. So um, yeah, that's where, that's where helmet girls. And I appreciate you asking about it, Jesse. You're like the only human being on the planet who still knows. That actually still knows. <laughs> that still thinks that, that, yeah, that, that this is still a project. Um, Cause you know, as you, I mean, as you know, we've been talking about it since like, fucking 2007 or something wow so. wow um, i mean it, yeah it, you know it, it happens like pro projects come and go i mean you were working on a marvel thing for a while and that disappeared oh so. my god i was working on a, i mean there was a whole other the podcast yeah. is, is the, we <laughs> yeah. could do an hour and a half on on projects that failed but i i that marvel project was captain america in vietnam that jody lahoop and i oh wow uh were were um were building and it took us like a year to get it to a place where marvel greenlit it because Marvel mm. was so cautious about it. And I was also like, you know, um, if I was going to do that story, it had to be, it had, had to be something I, I politically felt comfortable doing. Mm, right? So yeah. I wasn't going to like turn Vietnam into an adventure, like adventure war yeah. story. Right. And, um, but we finally found a kind of weird Venn diagram where Marvel's interests and my interests met at that time. And then it, it and, and that fell through in mm. a very storied way after yeah. a year of production. So it was one of movie the stuff movie. took over. 
So, uh, yeah, actually, I think uh, I don't really know what happened there. Actually, to be frank, they cut like a lot of titles. Um, yeah, that, that when they cut my title, it was one of many. So I don't think it was personal. Wow. Yeah. Um, they would cut. They would cut that, but they would republish. Was it that book Ruins? The uh, Warren Ellis book Ruins, where Captain America is a cannibal in World War Two. Sweet. Uh, yeah. I don't know about that book. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what their reasoning or politics behind it are. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's the height of hubris to yeah. assume that Pete, that there's a conspiracy against you. <laughs> but, uh, uh, hey. but uh, I, I have some pretty, I have it on pretty good authority that uh, some very powerful people at Marvel um, don't like me. So me all that I just means I've done I've done things right. right. And who wants to work for Marvel anyway, man? It's a weird culture living there. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Eh, I don't know. I mean, it depends on which writer you are. I mean, if you're if you're uh, I mean, it, some writers work well with bigger companies like Tom King's been doing some great stuff with the DC universe recently. His his book was it Supergirl got nominated for a Hugo recently. Mm. It's phenomenal. Isn't Fantastic. he the ex CIA agent? Uh Yes, he's actually cool. Yeah, yeah. he goes to cool. third eye actually. Yeah. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's a nice guy. I've met him. <laughs> no, he is. Nice. I've met him. He is a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, like, or like Garth Ennis with the Punisher. You know, he knows how to make that character work. Although We've they been... did cancel. They did cancel one of his Punisher books after the January sixth incident. <laughs> they did cancel one of his books. I did see that. I do love me some Garth Ennis. I will say something yeah. um, about Tom King. I, I have met him. He's, he's very nice. But one night we were talking in San Diego and it turned out that we had been in uh, the same parts of Iraq uh, for very different mm-hmm. reasons. Him uh, in a capacity he could not talk about. And me uh, working for the World Food Program, a Nobel Peace Prize winning organization that moves without guns through war zones. So I just want <laughs> to emphasize here. Just to highlight. <laughs> Just uh, he's gonna, he's gonna no hear offense. this. No offense, and he's Mr. Gonna King. Get very angry. <laughs> no offense, Mr. King. Uh, but one of us is part of the industrial military complex, and the other is part of the humanitarian aid complex. So just keep that in mind, kids. When you're our oh comments. man, <laughs> Met- metaphorical shots fired. Listen, this was a political no, 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 movie no, episode, so I, we're allowed to <laughs> no go. No one's here. gonna hear. It. <laughs> okay, we need to, we need to stop talking yeah, before we start engaging in like war crimes or something. We got our plugs. We said our pieces. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, we're out, we're out, we're out. Okay, we're done. Thank you, guys. Good night. Good night. Thank you for having me.